Well, good evening. That was really weak. Good evening. Thank you. Pastor Jeff has led us into uh, this series that we're calling Kingdom Culture When Earth Looks Like Heaven. And there are very few passages in the Bible where you approach them and you feel almost afraid to touch them because they're so beautiful. And these were words that dripped from the lips of Jesus himself where he told us what his kingdom looked like, where he described the culture of his kingdom and invited us into that kingdom. Pastor Jeff mentioned in the first message, and I I told him this really struck me. This happened very early in the ministry of Jesus. So he, he hasn't even completely gotten all of his disciples together yet. He's got these few, he's got more that are thinking about it or whatever, and he's got this crowd of people that have seen him work, and they all come together and they sit down and he tells them what he wants this world to look like. And the beauty of it is he spends the next three years showing them what he told them. So in his life, in his ministry, in his walk, we got to see kingdom culture lived. So he says at the beginning of his ministry, this is what I think it looks like. Now come follow me and let me show you how it's done. So these words are just incredibly potent. And as we dive through these three chapters of what Pastor Jeff has called the sermon, um, I think we're going to see his kingdom is not like any kingdom we've ever seen. And yet we get to be citizens of that kingdom. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read our text this morning or this evening because... These are just really, really precious words, and let's honor them together. This is Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Papa, we just thank you so much for the gift of your son who showed us how good you are and how powerful you are, who gave us your dream called the kingdom and showed us what it looked like when somebody lived it and invited us to follow him. Holy Spirit, only you can make these words come alive and burn within us. Only you, by the touch of your hand, can help us to receive what you want to deposit today. So I ask, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Feed us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. One of the things I think we need to do as we get into this is we need to define this thing that we're calling kingdom culture. What does that mean? Well, the kingdom is very simple. It's the reign or the domain or the realm of a king. Kingdom, king, domain. Culture is everything in the scope of a person's life in a certain place at a certain time. It includes everything. Culture includes everything around you in your life right now. So kingdom culture is the full scope of life for people who are defined by and submitted to the active reign of God. Let's say that again. Kingdom culture is the full scope of life for those who are defined by and submitted to the active reign of God. It's the experiential reality of those that Jesus said would seek first the kingdom. Kingdom culture is what they live. This sermon, the sermon, as Pastor Jeff calls it, is what the kingdom looks like when it breaks in on us. It is a description of what kingdom culture looks like. I believe it is exactly what Jesus was telling us we should pray for in that prayer that he taught his disciples where he said, this is how you ought to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you think about that, God's will in heaven is always done perfectly to the fullest extent. Everything that breathes from the heart of God is instantaneously done in heaven to perfection out of hearts that are full of gratitude and joy in the presence of God. And he said, that's how I want it to be on earth. Kingdom culture is what earth looks like when earth looks like heaven. Let's get it closer to home. 
What Jesus was really telling us to pray is, God, let my address look like your address. Let my house look like your house. Let my family look like your family. Let my culture reflect your culture. Does that make sense? See, the Beatitudes, this initial volley that Jesus has in the sermon, these are a description of blessings that exist simply because we live in kingdom culture. It's interesting. Jesus isn't telling us, go do these things. He says, this is the reality of what these things create in your life if you're living in kingdom culture. But come on, reading the Beatitudes, they feel so upside down to the world that we live in. Think about it. Poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, being hungry and thirsty, having our hearts purified, being peacemakers, being persecuted. Those are not the high values of the culture around us, but they are the highest values of kingdom culture. And I got to thinking about it and I thought, this one I've been assigned is, is really appropriate for the, the day that we live in. I, th- I thought it was interesting that Miss Christie talked about that plague where all the firstborn in Egypt were killed. There is nothing that could bring a higher degree of grief to a nation as that plague. And yet the mourning that happened in Egypt had no meaning. The only way mourning has meaning is if it happens within the realm of the kingdom. And God says, when you mourn in the kingdom, it's very different. In the spring of 2015, we became personally acquainted with grief at a level I'd never experienced in my 62 laps around the sun. We, um, we lost first my 36-year-old nephew, a firefighter who just didn't wake up one morning. And he left a, a wife, my niece, and two, three little boys. And I stood at his funeral and I watched the most magnificent display of honor from those firefighters. It was, it was profound. Two weeks to the day later, I buried my dad. Within two months, Diane's mother passed away in our home at 90, almost 98. So within three months, we experienced three significant deaths. And I began to understand mourning or grief at a visceral level, you know, way deeper than I'd ever known it theoretically. Because you don't understand grief in your mind, you understand it from your heart. And I thought about that this week as I was thinking about this passage. We are in a season in our culture that feels very much like that micro season of my life. Because for the last year and a half, we have waded in a sea of grief. Lost loved ones, lost jobs, lost money, lost alliances, lost unity, lost hope. In much of our culture. You see, mourning and grieving are a universal phenomenon. 
that we all experience because of the pain of loss. None of us vote to go there. None of us would opt for it, but nobody's exempt. We will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death sometime, maybe many times in our life. It's a phenomenon we all experience. And yet Paul says something. He says, when you're in the kingdom of God, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you experience it differently than those who are not under the reign of God. Listen to what he said. This is in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, of those who are asleep, that is, those who have passed away, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Do you see the difference? He says, we're all going to grieve, but there's a difference in the experience of grief in the kingdom of God than there is for those that are outside his realm. And the difference is something called hope. Hope is the single thing in a believer's life that turns grief from a dead end into a passageway. It's a kingdom distinctive. In fact, all of these beatitudes are. There's something that demonstrate the difference between the world around us and the kingdom of God that is over us. It's distinctive. It's different. Because we have hope. I love Psalm 84. It's been my life scripture since I was a teenager. And in the middle of it, David describes, sorry, David describes our journey and he says this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Look at this. As they pass through the valley of Baha, the valley of Tears, that's what the Hebrew means. As they pass through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. And the autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God and say, do you see the picture? As they pass through the valley where they are weeping, their tears water the ground and transform the atmosphere of grief. And God responds by adding the springs of water that cover the ground. There's something so distinctively different in the experiences of brokenness that we have in our world when you're under the reign of God. Pastor brought this word to us last week and I'm so glad he grabbed it because it's one of the best translations of this idea of being blessed. Jesus is saying that people who mourn, who experience loss so that it hurts, can still flourish if they're in the kingdom of God. Now, like all the rest of these beatitudes, this one seems like such an oxymoron. Two completely disparate and opposite ideas being held in tension by a greater reality. Mourning, comfort, 
if the Beatitudes are anything, they are a living expression of how right side up the kingdom is compared to our upside down world. Everything seems different. You know, when Jesus is painting this picture, he's painting the picture of how it ought to be. We call that shalom. That's really the definition of shalom, how things ought to be. He's painting this picture of how things ought to be, but he goes farther and he's saying, guys, I'm painting you a picture of how things can be, even now in this world. Maybe not perfectly, and maybe not completely, but substantially, things can be like this for people who submit to the reign of God. But the beauty of it is he's also describing how things will be one day when we all get to heaven. So Jesus says, this is how God designed it. He can help you live in it now and one day you'll step into its perfection in heaven. He paints that kind of picture and then for three years lives it out in front of us. It's interesting because this word blessed introduce us really to the first chunk of what's important here because Jesus is saying to us I want you to know what the world would look like if the kingdom were its real milieu if the overarching atmosphere of the world were the kingdom of God this is what it would look like we would turn this upside down world right side up and he introduces here a promise and that promise is you can flourish in a world of pain that's where he gives us this word pastor unpacked it for his last week blessed blessed however you want to say it blessed Blessed has to do with being fortunate. It has to do with, with things being well with you. In fact, this word makarios that we studied with pastor last week, it was originally used of the gods in, in Greek. So they talked about the Greek gods and they were blessed because they had everything. But then it began to talk about people who were in, who were in right standing, the, the ones that gods liked because they had all the stuff. So it became equated with people who had all the wealth and the health and all the good things in life. They were blessed. That's how the world still defines it. People are blessed when they have enough, when they have it easy, when they have stuff, they're blessed. And Jesus comes in and flips that thing on its head. He says, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you what blessed looks like. You know, if the word wasn't so undervalued in our culture, you could translate this word bliss. But it's the thing that the culture is looking for that it can't find. The culture is always told, follow your bliss. And they do, and then they end up singing, can't get no satisfaction. Because they're following their bliss, they're not following his blessed. John, it's interesting, and this is what poured so much life into this word for me. It's used more in one book of the New Testament than anywhere else. It's the book of Revelation. 
It's used over and over again. And it always describes the condition of joy and satisfaction that existed in the people who knew how the story was going to end. They were blessed. And John talks about it over and over and over again. The shalom, the flourishing, the life more abundantly that Jesus talked about comes to those who know he reigns above it all. He reigns above it all. It's so much more than happy. It gets translated like that a lot. Pastor talked a little bit about it last week, but the opposite of happy is sad. The opposite of blessed is not sad. The opposite of blessed is cursed. So if you're not living in blessing, you're experiencing the curse of being out from under the reign of God. So that's why he picks these experiences that are common to human flesh, poverty and mourning and hunger and thirst and persecution. He picks these things and says, if you're not in the kingdom, they're a curse. But if you live in the kingdom of God, you can flourish even through those pains. See, the place of his presence is a place of promise. You're not defined by your brokenness. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your hurts. You're not defined by your loss. You're defined by the promises of God. Everything he promised is is an epitaph written over your head. You're defined by the promises of God. I dug really deep into this word blessed. And here's the part. When you go way down deep to the bottom of the word, it means to lengthen and enlarge. You would say it like this. If you're blessed, you're fat. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Here's the idea. God extends his favor to you. He expands his grace over you. He lengthens his charity toward you. He makes you larger so he enlarges your capacity to receive. And then he fills you. Through the experiences that break the world, God builds you. Through the experience that shatter those that are not in the kingdom, in the kingdom, those same experiences enlarge us so he can fill us. That's why he said you're blessed when you're poor in spirit and you're broken and you're mourning. That's why you're blessed because those experiences are stretching you. I love Isaiah's prophecy about this. He says to those who Grieve in Zion, he gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He says, all of us carry those things, but in the kingdom, they stretch you so that you can take more blessed in your life. But here's the interesting part. In that short phrase, he not only gives us a promise, he promises us pain. (laughs) 
in this world of loss, you will hurt. No way around it. This world is broken. You know what I love so much about Jesus? He never resorted to painting a panacea in order to attract his followers. He, he never airbrushed the world. He, if he was anything, he was raw, he was real, he was hard-nosed honest about life in a broken world. He never covered that up. He didn't have to. Because what he was telling us was, as broken as the world is, you don't belong to the world. You belong to my kingdom. And that changes everything. In fact, what he says here, blessed are those who mourn. He uses this Greek word, pentheo. And it's a word that means to wail, to grieve, to sorrow. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an ugly word. It's this deep sense of visceral pain that comes when something is yanked out of your life. Something precious, something you loved is pulled away from you. And that void hurts. That's the word he used. It's the strongest word for grief or mourning in, in the entire uh, available words for, in Greek. And it rises from the same root as the word we get, our word, passion from, like the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Jesus. It was used of the disciples right after Jesus was crucified. And they mourned. That is the picture he's painting. Extreme agony of soul. Now, we can never forget that there is a kind of mourning that the Bible actually commands us to do. It's over and over again through scripture. It tells us to mourn. To mourn over iniquities in our lives that we can't change. To, to mourn over our spiritual bankruptcy or our blindness or our unbelief or our hardness of heart or the reproach that lives on the church. We're commanded to mourn over those things. But what Jesus is talking about here is a, is a different kind of mourning. It's the mourning that comes from loss. And I thought about this and I thought... I think there's three ways that you experience that kind of mourning. One is when you endure suffering. We've seen so many of our friends in the last two years walk through that kind of suffering. Losing loved ones, extended periods in the hospital, loss of health, loss of jobs and homes and finances and just disconnection and being ripped. We've talked about it so often, Diane and I have the greatest pain I think some of these folks have is the fact that they've got a loved one in a hospital or in a nursing home and they can't go and, and see them. And we've lived in a season where people have walked through suffering and that brings mourning. But you can also experience that kind of mourning when you watch suffering. When you look around and you see your friends going through that stuff. Sometimes we sit and we'll watch the news and we'll literally sit there and cry because of the brokenness of the culture, the division, the dissension. So sometimes when you see it, it breaks your heart and you just grieve over it. 
But I want to tell you, the deepest kind of mourning you'll ever go through is when you cause suffering. I know what it is to act in ways that crush the hearts of those most precious to me. And the mourning and the grief that weighs on you during those times is shattering. That is the word Jesus uses. That's the kind of mourning he says you can be blessed in. So I went back and I started digging out on this word and saying, you know, I I, I know it's talking about that, but there's got to be more to it. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew, the word mourn and the word wait are almost identical. Because when you're mourning, you're in this moment of waiting where something has been taken and you long for it to come back. And there's this waiting in you that aches for what you lost. When you mourn, everything in your world stops and you wait. To mourn is to sit with your loss as if you're longing for someone to come. It's interesting, the word comfort that's at the end of this In the Aramaic, which is the other language the New Testament is sometimes written in, it uses this word that means to see the face of one you longed for. So when you're mourning, you're longing for someone. When you're comforted, you see their face. That's the idea behind it. So mourning is essentially homesickness. It's where you realize we're not home yet. We're citizens of another kingdom. We're, Bible calls us pilgrims and strangers in this world. What we see around us isn't the way our home is, the home we're fit for, the home we're made for. So, so much of mourning is about this sense of loss, this distance that we have from the way things are supposed to be. There's this loss of place and loss of identity and loss of people and loss of connection and loss of purpose and loss of love and this this emptiness cries out within us. In some ways, mourning is when you are lost in your own story. Now, that seems hard. That seems dark. Because, you see, shalom is missing. Something is missing. Someone is missing. But here's where Jesus turns it. Because when you mourn like that, the brokenness that you experience creates a vulnerable tenderness that invites the presence of God. It moves the heart of God. You remember how I told you that Jesus spent three years trying to show us with his life what what the sermon looked like? Go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 11. That's where Lazarus has died. The one they said Jesus loved had died. Now, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he went there and he saw the mourning of the sisters and all the people who were friends, and he stood outside of the tomb and Jesus wept. 
He knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he allowed himself to feel the agony that we feel when we lose something precious. He stepped into their grief. When you mourn, it opens up your soul and it calls for that one that you're missing And the presence of God fills the void. You see, the Beatitudes are not given to us to tell us to go out and try to do these things. Go go be poor in spirit. Go mourn. That's, That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying in the kingdom, you're going to experience the same thing that all the other people in the world do in this broken world. The difference is when you mourn, it splits open your soul and it invites God to come in presence. You will find God in a loss. It's interesting because, and I never knew this before I started studying this, it says that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The word is parakaleptoto. And, and, and it comes from a group of words that are made up of compound. Para, which means near, close, very close proximity. Kaleo, which means to call by name. So you will be comforted means that you call someone alongside who stands with you in strength and comfort and peace and support. In John 14, 15 and 16, Jesus makes a promise to us through his disciples. He said, it's good for you if I go away because the comforter who is the spirit of truth, will come from the Father. He says it over and over again. It's his name for Holy Spirit through his whole final discussion with his disciples. He's saying to them, when I go, somebody else is coming. And he will not just be with you, he will be in you. And his name is Parakletos. You see the connection? The comforter, same word. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who are broken open in mourning because they will be comforted, he's not talking about something we're given. He's talking about someone that we are given. The one who comes alongside of us is the spirit of truth who's sent to make sense from our pain by his presence. Listen to this. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mourning in kingdom culture invites the presence of the comforter, not the presence of that someone would give you to comfort you. 
He doesn't come and bring you things to make you feel better. He comes to be your comfort. He comes not to give comfort. He is comfort. It is who he is. And the beauty of it is when you receive comfort in your morning by presence, it doesn't have to be explained by answers. You remember Paul talking about peace that passes understanding? He's talking about comforter that passes understanding. The idea is this. When you have the peace of his presence, you no longer need the explanations or the answers because his presence is larger than your questions. He says, when you mourn and your heart is broken open, it's like a vacuum. It pulls the heart of God to you. So you don't need answers. You don't need revenge or justice. You don't need solutions because you have him. Look at the message translation of this this, uh, blessing. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. He gets it in that translation. The comfort that comes in your morning comes in the form of a person. Holy Spirit who is with you. He is in you. He is on you. You know, Pastor Jeff told us about Luke's version of this being the sermon in the plain. You know what Luke's translation of this particular beatitude is? Blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. You're going to weep now, but see, in the kingdom, mourning now ends always with you getting the last The enemy may break your heart by bringing things into your life that break you open in grief, but you will get the last laugh. Psalm 125 verses five and six, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This whole promise of Jesus is you're blessed when you're broken because you become vulnerable enough for him to get close. And it's his presence that is our comfort. When I was growing up, we used to sing an old hymn And it goes like this. Oh, spread the tidings round. Wherever man is found, wherever human hearts and human woes abound, let every Christian tongue proclaim the joyful sound. The comforter has come. Listen to this verse. Oh, behold the king of kings.
with healing in his wings. To every captive soul, his full deliverance brings. And through those vacant cells, this song of triumph rings. The comforter has come. The comforter has come. The comforter has come. The Holy Ghost from heaven, the Father's promise give. Go spread the tidings round, wherever man is found. The Comforter has come. Father, we thank you. That in your son, you paid a price for us that opened a kingdom in which even when we weep, we laugh. Even when we mourn, we flourish because the comforter has come. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. You split the heavens and came down at Pentecost and you have never left. And you're more here in this room right now than we are. And you're here with your healing and your joy and your comfort and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Applying all the grace of the blood of Jesus to all the doors in our life. Father, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice in this room or online who is walking through or sitting in grief. They are mourning, but they are in your kingdom. May the comforter enter their brokenness to bring wholeness, to restore joy and peace. May they flourish even in their pain. Because Jesus, that is what you died for. I want our ushers to get ready. We're going to take communion together, but Diane, would you come? Mike, would you sing for us just a moment? Jesus paid it all, all to deny Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Do it again, do it again, Jesus, 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 Jesus paid it all.
broken for you. Take, eat. And after they had supped, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. As often as you do this, do this to remember me. Receive the cup. today. I, I don't know how many memorial services Pastor Paul, Pastor Jeff have had to do. How many of our friends are still in their homes because they can't, can't get the breath? How many have lost jobs, money, health? But we are members of the kingdom of God. Jesus reigns above it all and over it all. And in the kingdom, those who mourn are blessed. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So pray with us. Let's pray for our friends, for the members of our community. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for grace. We thank you for favor. We thank you for your presence, which is life. Lord, we don't even comprehend how this promise you made can work. That we are blessed when we mourn because we will receive this comforter. But we know you said it. And now we ask for each person in our community of believers who is suffering loss, who has suffered loss, who has endured or is enduring mourning and grief over people or things that have been pulled from their lives. Comforter, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, the one who raised him from the dead, come Fill their lives, fill the void, fill the brokenness with presence that doesn't need anything to be explained just because you're there 
It changes, shifts the atmosphere, changes the outcome. We pray for them, Lord. Those who have lost loved ones, those who have lost jobs and dreams and hopes, those who have have lost health. Some of them are watching right now online because they can't be in the room. Father, we ask for the healing virtue of Jesus Christ that was purchased by your stripes to flood their bodies and restore them to health. We pray for the mercy of God to fill their hearts, the hearts of the brokenhearted. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that we would not grieve as those who have no hope because we know one day we will have the last laugh. We bless you because of your goodness. We love you because of your closeness. In Jesus' mighty name.